1: Welcome on into the Wolverine.com podcast. Clayton Safey here with Chris Ballas and Anthony Broom here for our Thursday edition. Uh, We will talk a little bit of National Signing Day. Michigan inks a top 10 class in the country uh, for 2022. We will get a little bit into Michigan versus Georgia as the game is approaching. Uh, All of us headed down to Florida, not next week, but the week after, I think. The days of the week are weird around Christmas. I don't even know what days they are, but uh, we're heading down the 26th just after Christmas, and uh, we'll be able to attend a little bit of practice, talk to some guys down there, get a bunch of coverage. So uh, make sure to stay with us at TheWolverine.com. $1 gets you an entire year, so it'll take you through signing day next year. It'll take you into bowl season, potential another college football playoff next year uh, and all of that. But, guys, signing day, always a whirlwind of a day. Ended a little bit earlier than it did uh, last year. You know, not a ton of fireworks, not a ton of surprises, uh, you know, there were guys that popped up late in the class and things like that. But Chris, man, you've been, not to, you know, this is no offense, but you've been around for more signing days and you've seen a lot of crazy things happen uh, around, you know, college football. We saw some things nationally with Jackson state and all that. Uh, what are some of the kind of crazier things you've seen? The cra- well, he, when he, Jim Harbaugh talked about Andrew Gentry, I thought that was interesting.
0: And he said, okay, we got a call out of the blue because Virginia lost its coach. And this kid, by the way, Gentry was, I think a top 50 kid. in, in some sites, I mean, like one of the elite, offensive lineman in the country. And I think what he saw with what Sharon Moore did with these guys this year, he thought, okay, well, if it's not going to be Virginia, let's go somewhere else where I'm comfortable, where I do get, I'll get well coached. And so Harbaugh goes over, he gets 90 minutes uh, of this kid. He's at a mission, a Mormon mission. He gets 90, 90 minutes with him because the church elders say it's okay signs him at the end of those 90 minutes or gets a commitment and then the kid signs. So I thought that was fascinating, but the best ones that I remember, Carlos Brown came out of nowhere. Uh, You know, Fred Jackson went down there. This is Michigan's running back. He was a a four-star kid might've been close to a five-star out of Georgia. And there was somebody at the school that did not want him to go to Michigan. And so when Fred Jackson, Michigan's running backs coach showed up, they said, Oh, sorry, Carlos isn't here, man. You know, and so he never got to meet the kid face to face and Fred's like, I'm wasting my time. Well, on signing day, he gets a call from from Carlos Brown saying, you know, why'd you stop recruiting me? You know, and I was really interested And in why didn't you come? And long story short, he told him what happened. And Carlos Brown says, I want to come to Michigan. So he basically came without getting the in-home and everything else. Uh, that was pretty crazy. And then going down to obviously see Chad Henney. Everybody thought in Pennsylvania thought he was going to, to Penn State. And, in fact, um, his coach, you know, we, we were making plans to go down there a couple days in advance because we had heard that he was going to Michigan. This is Michigan's uh, last, what, NFL quarterback, right? Last, I guess, Jake Rudock kind of counts. He, he had a cup of coffee. But um, so his coach, Jim Cantafios, would not, he said, well, he goes, I'll just tell you this because it's an eight-and-a-half-hour drive. I think it'll be worth your while, which we kind of knew it was based on the sources we'd gotten. But Penn State had no idea. So we go down there. And Chad Henney announces for Michigan and Cantafio's phone just starts blowing up with calls from coaches from Penn State wondering what the heck happened. Uh, That was fascinating. So there's always stories like that guys. Uh, This is probably the least amount of work I've done on a signing day. Thanks to EJ and Tim our our unbelievable coworkers and, and what you guys have done Uh, turns out to be one of the best days we've ever had too. So maybe there's a pattern there and I just need to keep my hands off it.
1: I, I just real quick. Have a couple words on the Carlos Brown story. Uh, Carlos Brown. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know it. <laughs> so that's a, a running gag on the website. I don't know how it started, but somebody just went down and put Carlos Brown, and then the guy below him put Carlos Brown. So there you have
1: it. And then you get really, 50 you know, Carlos Brown like messages. 50 Carlos that. Browns, scintillating yeah, stuff. Yeah. No doubt.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, I'm trying to think. I think the first signing day that I did was the. Well, it was a February signing day, the 2015 one, which was Harbaugh's first class. I remember the Mike Weber drama and they took Karan Higdon earlier in the day. And that was drama. Cause, Oh, they took a running back behind Mike Weber's back and there was that whole saga. So that was one that stood out. Um, obviously the Najee Harris recruitment and everything that went along with that was a wild one that I remember. I don't have any, um, I mean, I, most of the stories I can remember are, are from non signing days. I mean, it's, there was Isaiah Wilson's Christmas pageant that everyone had to sit through watching on a Facebook live. There was the kid uh, I want to say out of Farmington Hills, a wide receiver that there um, was far somewhere out there. Some uh, he teased an announcement on Easter Sunday, and then it wound up being the fact that his dad was in some kind of comedy show when all these recruiting writers had kind of stopped. what They were doing on Easter to you know provide content and things like that. And it just, it's, It is, it is the wild West. And then you see it with, you know, the stuff with Keontae Goodwin and Michigan state and Kentucky and some of the stuff that went on with that, the Travis Hunter stuff, um, you know, flipping from Florida state to Jackson state. Like we are truly, we are truly in unprecedented times as people have been leading emails with for the last year and a half since the pandemic started. But uh, it's, it's nice that like, it was a good day for Michigan, not a chaotic day, just a good day with good news that continued to come in and, uh, it is incredible the work that they were able to do. Most of these guys, and, and I'm working on a, ru- a roundup for the website, most of these guys that helped close this class out haven't even been here for a calendar year yet. It, it's incredible the effort that they pulled off. And hey, you know what? Novel concept. When you win games and win a Big Ten championship, it's a lot easier to have something to sell. I don't think they probably get some of the guys that they get if that doesn't happen. But you have a result to sell. Um, closed out the class on a high note. I know there's still... Um, some plates spinning uh, for the February signing day, but all in all to come out of that day coming off of the year they had previous to this and all of the change, it's just a remarkable job by everybody involved.
1: Yeah. And reading some national stories that have Michigan in there among their group of four or five winners for the entire day on signing day, because they were able to close late with a couple guys. And you mentioned, uh, you know, what coaches were recruiting who? Ron Bellamy deserves a huge shout out for the job he did. Seems like every big time recruit that Michigan was in on or had a chance with or ended up landing uh, at some point, Ron Bellamy was on the phone with him. Ron Bellamy went and visited him. Uh, outstanding recruiter, as we thought he would be when he came here. You know, knowing he, he knows the high school kids, he relates to them. He's just a great guy altogether because we had all talked to him, you know, beforehand when he was a high school coach. And now, you know, seeing the job he's doing is fantastic. Keon Saab uh, from Clemson, who, you know, he just worked on throughout the cycle, even when he was committed to Clemson. And eventually, they're able to get him to decommit and then commit to Michigan. Um, I think he's a guy that could impact early. What would you guys think about the entire class as a whole? I was over at Will Johnson's ceremony. He's a guy I think is going to play uh, pretty soon here. And then Darius Clemens, the kid they were able to get, who I didn't even know who that was <laughs> a week ago, uh, is yeah. a you know, top 100 wide receiver, 6'3", four three seven forty yard dash speed so uh you know some guys that I think could step right in
0: amazing finish and uh, if they if they'd gotten Dion Walker you know and somebody left to convince me that I you know the whole Kentucky th- to Detroit thing is Is ridiculous. And uh, I feel honestly, this sounds arrogant, but I kind of feel bad for the kid and what he's missing out on, you know, what I think he's going to be missing out on at Michigan. And that's easy for me to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not in his shoes, but knowing what Michigan's about and, and having experienced like the Ohio State game this year that he missed. Um, he didn't come, and that was a pretty, pretty good indication that he wasn't going to be coming to Michigan, even though they tried to close with him and make up some ground. But man, what an unbelievable environment, and what an unbelievable opportunity he could have had here. But you know, Kentucky's Kentucky, and they're and they're doing a pretty solid job on their recruiting trail. So, but all, all in all, man, you can't couldn't have asked for much more. They filled a lot of positions of need. Uh, they got some great athletes, guys. Flat out, if you look at uh, what they brought in on signing day. So, and we again, we don't know what these guys are going to be until we see them play. You know, Bo Beckler always used to say one third will be starters, one third will play, and the other third will fizzle out. But, uh, and that's basically if you go down the list, that's how it's been, and that's how it will be. You know, you try to predict sometimes it doesn't work out uh, who's going to be that third, 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 and third. But uh, on paper, it looks like a great class.
2: Yeah, I mean to only for Dion Walker really to be the only quote-unquote miss of the day. I mean, they yes. flipped they flipped Alex Orgy, they flipped uh, and Walker. Again, I think uh Walker got another guy that Bellamy was in on pretty hard. Um you know, it, it's you know, you want to always stack as many blue-chip talents into a class as you can, but um you no know, guy like you know, for anyone that's worried that they didn't get Deion Walker, go look at go look up some of uh, Kenneth Grant's tape. I mean, that's a big physical guy who I think is 6-5. 340, 350, but he moves like he's, you know, yes. 70 pounds less than that. Um, I know EJ has seen him a bunch and and is really high on what he brings to the table. There's just there are guys up and down this class that uh, you know, I don't really question the evaluations of of Jim Harbaugh and his staff. I mean, you go look at the guys on on this roster now that helped them win a Big Ten championship. I mean, Hassan Haskins, Cade McNamara, um you know, Ronnie Bell, if you want to
0: bring Ronnie Bell up, right? Ronnie yeah. Bell, I
2: mean, that's the yeah. biggest example of it. A, two, a two-star a two kid who was a former basketball player, like yeah. n- not on anyone's radar. So, you know, they do a really good job. I think, um, you know, I th- there's been some consternation about, you know, not recruiting the state of Michigan as well and not recruiting o- Ohio as well. But I, I really do think what they've done with all of the, the guys that have been on Jim Harbaugh's staff is they kind of moneyball it to a certain extent. Like, hey, we're going to go – take a flyer on this guy out of Idaho instead, like a Colston Loveland, who I think, I think that guy is going to be, I don't know how he fits into all this. Um, I think he's extremely talented and go watch some of his highlight film as well. So um, I don't question the evaluations. I mean, I just, you know, there, there are definitely needs going into the 2023 cycle, namely on the offensive line and edge rusher too. That really was kind of maybe the biggest bummer of the days that Ethan Burke flips out of the class. And then, It doesn't look like, uh, it seems really unlikely that Cavante Henry will wind up sticking in the class. He's taking it to the February signing day. So edge rusher is going to be a position of need, but they're kind of set up to take some big swings now in 2023. So it's all about, I mean, I think there's a good, there's a good mixture of guys that I think will play right away, like a Darius Clemens, like a Will Johnson, um, you know, like some of those guys on the back end of the secondary, but um, you know, you need those three or four-year guys, too, as as we've seen. We'll talk a little bit later about basketball for a bit. But um, the mixture of those early impact and those program guys um, that could be your guys three or four years down the road that are the, the foundation of, you know, potential championship teams. I, I just think that all of that DNA is there, regardless of what the recruiting rankings
1: say. Yeah, look at the 2018 class, Aiden Hutchinson's class, which wasn't one of the highly touted ones, but it ended up having a stud who could, is probably going to be the number one pick Uh, in Aiden Hutchinson and some great leaders. And then you sprinkle that in with some of the fifth-year guys, even a sixth-year guy like Andrew Astartes. Hell, a seventh-year guy like Jordan Whitley, who came from Oregon State. But, you know, some of those juniors as well, and it's just been a perfect blend. So, yeah, you're right with some of those guys uh, that will be more contributors down the road. Um, You know, shifting focus to this bowl game coming up. It feels like it's been quite a while since the Iowa game. It feels like it's been a – you know, the Ohio State game to me was like a year ago. And now we have a couple weeks until Michigan plays Georgia – in the Orange Bowl for the college football playoff semifinal, uh, as we start to kind of focus a little bit more on them over on our end of things. And Chris, I know you had a good conversation with a Georgia writer uh, today, I believe you said. Um, you know, share a little insight, I guess, about what that conversation was about. Um, you know, Michigan, we talked a little bit about it last week, but I think Michigan's, you know, got a, a shot to win this game. And I, I was surprised a little bit that that line moved from seven and a half to eight and a half. We'll be interested to see where it ends up. Yeah, that defense of
0: Georgia's is what Palmer Thoms from Georgia on three site and I talked about. That front seven is pretty, pretty darn good. And that's one of the things is how is Michigan going to be able to beat Georgia like Alabama did and airing it out with Cade McNamara? You know, it's amazing how similar these this Georgia and this Michigan offense seem to be. And that's one thing Palmer said. He said there was a game where they threw for 78 yards and beating Arkansas because they were running the ball so effectively, which reminds me of course of Michigan versus Washington, right? With Cade McNamara. And then there was a time where they threw five touchdowns in a game, which brings you to, you know, Cade McNamara against uh, whoever, when he threw, I don't know when he threw, four touchdowns against somebody, didn't he?
1: Three, uh, yeah, I think three was the most, but yeah, well, whatever it was, Depends but the where, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly where they needed him to air it out a little bit more, and he did so. Um, it's amazing uh, the similarities there. Uh, so what it comes down to is, is the Michigan defense going to be as adept, in my opinion, at stopping Georgia as Georgia can be in stopping Michigan? Will Michigan be able to run the ball on the number three rushing defense in the country that has been tested against some of the best of the best, right? So but he said it, it, these are two physical teams that they kind of mirror each other, uh, and I couldn't agree more with him. But I, I've seen that Georgia defense in action, and other than that Alabama game, man, these guys are, are crazy good. And Anthony's buddy, Jim Nagy, at the Senior Bowl – we wrote, I think, in September, he said this will be a defense that Georgia, young Georgia fans will tell their kids and grandkids about someday, and it has been with that one exception. And in some ways it reminds you of that 2006 Michigan team that was dominant up until they played Ohio State and gave up 42 points. Well, Georgia was dominant all year, and then they gave up 42 points against Alabama, which is an elite offense with an elite quarterback and really good receivers, great receivers. So can Michigan get that amount from the, the same thing from uh, their guys at Alabama did. I don't think so. Will they have to? I don't know. We'll see if, how that offensive line does against that Georgia front. But it should be a really good, exciting game. I expect it to be a lower-scoring game, to be honest with you. I do think the 8.5 is a little too high. I think this game will be within a touchdown either way. And uh, I would pick Georgia to win probably. But, guys, I've been wrong a lot this year when it comes to Michigan, happily. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think I picked three wrong games this year, and one of them was the loss to Michigan State, and then the I picked them to lose to Wisconsin and then to Ohio State. So, uh, who knows? Uh, I, but I will say that they are not daunted at all, and they really feel like they have a great chance to win this game based on everything that we've heard from the building.
2: Well, keep picking them to lose. That's the key. Right. That's the key to all yes. it, right. Um, yep. You know, they – This matchup is so fascinating to me, and it starts with the spread. I mean, I I don't think either team is going to score enough to outscore the other team by eight and a half points. That's a big number in a game like this. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, I'm still diving into, you know, matchups and and things like that, and how I feel about what, how these two teams go against each other. But it just to me that when I go with gut feelings, which has been good this year at times and bad this year, depending on what week you followed the gambling column or not. I just seem um, I just see a game similar to that Penn state game where it's like 21 17 or, you know, 24, 20, where even, you know, you get up that high and it might be um, I'll put it this way. The afternoon game is probably going to be the game where all this, the points are scored um, in those of those two college football playoff games. Um, You know, Georgia or Alabama was able to do what it did to Georgia because, you know, and I talked about how recruiting rankings don't necessarily matter. Um, when when you're when you get to this stage, this is where you start to see what that separation looks like. Um, you know, I think Michigan is good enough to compete with and beat whoever they could potentially face over the next month or so. But um, Alabama was able to do what they did because they have that different. They have that next level, that next gear that they can go to with their quarterback, their skill players, um, and we feel like I feel very strongly about the development of of Michigan's guys. I mean, it's been it truly has developed into a pick your poison who do you stop type of offense, but um, you know, Alabama just had that next level um, and won way more one-on-one matchups. And quite frankly, I mean, has the better quarterback and that's, that's where it's interesting. You know, we see that meme on the internet that goes around of the two Spider-Men pointing at each other. This is Michigan and Georgia to me, because it's, you know, both teams have gotten, I can't say sterling quarterback play, but good enough quarterback play to get to the position that they'll be in on December 31st. It's going to be, to me, it comes down to the guy that, um, you know, is probably kept, kept cleaner and makes the least amount of mistakes and you hate to boil it down and be that simplistic with it. But I think when you have this, um, this immovable force that is the the Michigan football offensive line and this unstoppable object, that is the Georgia defensive line. You know, I think you do kind of look to the margins of, you know, who wipes out who and who can outplay who in this game. And that's, I just expect a low scoring game. And Michigan, I think will give itself a puncher's chance. It's just going to be, is Georgia's like what Georgia team gets off the bus? Are they going to be the shell shocked team that got exposed in a rivalry game with a title on the line, or are they going to be, you know, angry and pissed off that, that that happened and look to kind of get back on track of what we saw before. So All of that is extremely fascinating to me as we move into really, I mean, we have 15 days uh, as we sit here Thursday and record it till this game takes place. It it seems like a long time away, but uh, with Christmas and everything, it's going to be here before we know it. We'll be getting on a plane to Fort Lauderdale here soon enough, so um,
0: we'll see what happens. But that's my early thoughts kind of on where we stand. One thing I'll add to, to what AB just said is that I think with the playoff and that possibility of playing Alabama again, I don't think you're going to see any other team except for a focused one that kind of like Michigan that really has an opportunity here. And talking to Palmer Thumbs, he said, you know, uh, they understand, you know, what happened out there. Uh, they're not happy about it. But he firmly believes that they have an opportunity still to win it all, um, even with their quarterback situation. There have been people calling for JT Daniels, you know. Of course, there are nutty Alabama fans calling for people's head all heads all year long after one loss to Texas A and M. So fire all the coordinators. I don't know if you guys saw Pete Feinbaum uh, say <laughs> to say that on ESPN, uh, where he said, you know. Uh, they couldn't take a a call a day or, you know, they had several calls a day talking about how they wanted to fire everybody but Nick Saban just because they were winning games by two points. So, but uh, I think they'll be focused and I think it'll be a great game. I know that Michigan's focused and and really intent on proving that, okay, we are for real, you know, it's not a fluke that we're here. We are number two. We probably could have been the number one team in the country.
1: Yeah. I'll say this about that, though. When you think about Georgia, you know, they were, you know, supposedly this team that was, you know, just so much better than everybody else in the country. They're going to roll to the national championship, uh, you know, looking at articles and things like that, like before the you know conference championship, it was just Georgia and then everybody else. And then Alabama kind of, you know, just, just kept playing pretty decent, decent, you know, gets by Auburn. And then, well, we have more talent than you at a lot of spots and we we're able to beat you. Think about Georgia and think about Kirby Smart's tenure there. Has he really won a big game at Georgia? I mean, not really. Uh, you know, He's lost to Alabama, I think, every time. I don't think he's ever beaten Nick Saban there. Uh, and then they get to the playoff. I know he got to the national championship game, but then he lost to Nick Saban. So there's kind of a similar amount of pressure, in my mind, on Kirby Smart than there is kind of on Ryan Day, who's like, either going to get an NFL job or like randomly get fired if he loses to Michigan next year or something like <laughs> these places have such high expectations because of the level of talent they have, but like Kirby smart. They love him, but I feel like there's kind of this thing bubbling under the surface where it's like, if you can't get it done with these guys that you're bringing in, look at the class they brought in yesterday. Then, you know, maybe we got to look somewhere else. I don't know where they look. I think it's the wrong mentality because when you look at some of the SEC teams they just continually fire their coaches, doesn't always work out, but, Something there, I think, with Kirby Smart, the big game type of thing, the pressure. I mean, there's so much pressure. In Michigan, there's not a ton of pressure going into this game. Uh, They're they're somewhere where a lot of people didn't expect them to be. They're playing with house money at this point as the number two team in the country. They got all the confidence in the world. They're not going to be scared of those guys on the front, those front seven guys that you talk about. Jordan Davis, who's just an absolute beast at defensive tackle. So I think that's something to watch. And then, Anthony, when you talked about the quarterbacks, I firmly believe Michigan has – the better quarterback room in this battle. I'd rather have J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara on my team if I'm them compared to Stetson Bennett and J.T. Daniels, who, yeah, I've, I've read a couple of things in the last couple of weeks. Are they just going to come out with J.T. Daniels in this game? You never know. Um, but, you know, nope. probably not. But I would still rather have Michigan's guys. Uh, and like you said, uh, Anthony, eight and a, eight and a half. I mean, I expect lower scoring and, and, you know, probably something within a touchdown could come down to one, two plays. And, uh, you know, I think if Michigan can get in that type of game, they've shown they can win those. So uh, it will be interesting. They've been more tested in tight games in Georgia, who's rolled over a lot of teams as well. And, you know, really hadn't played the toughest SEC schedule. So it will be interesting as we kind of continue to dive into this matchup. But uh, anything else on this game, Uh, fellas, before we, you know, quick talk hoops here before a huge Saturday night tilt against Southern Utah? I think you covered it all in about that five and a half minute
0: <laughs> you just went on there, pal. So I'll just, I'll, just say this.
2: I'll just say this about uh Kirby Smart and Georgia and, and the matchup with Michigan. I'm old enough to remember some satellite camp stuff and some tweets that went yeah. back and forth. So if that you know, Kirby Smart, there's pressure on him that if he loses if he comes back to Athens having lost to Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna get Um, Well, Urban Meyer is available
1: now. So (laughs) they may pull his. Yeah, they may take away his helicopter if uh, he doesn't win that game. (laughs) I don't know how he'd get back. But uh, basketball, obviously, it's been uh, tough for this team. You know, they took a couple steps forward. One step, big, huge step back against Minnesota, losing on your home floor and, you know, really getting dominated in a second half again, uh, you know, against a Minnesota team that's been good. But, you know, just you don't feel like they're going to be top half of the Big Ten when this thing's said and done. And Michigan kind of needed that game if it wants to contend for the Big Ten here, unless you steal quite a few games down the stretch. And frankly, it doesn't look like the product is there for that to happen. Um, a couple games here, no again, kind, right, but yeah, your yeah, thoughts on where things stand.
0: No kind of about it, uh, Clayton. I mean, you need to win that game at home. Minnesota was picked to finish last. they've been better than expected, but uh, two assists on 29 buckets and you let those guys get to the rim like you did, that was embarrassing uh, flat out. And I think Juwan Howard would be the first one to admit it, that that just can't happen. So, uh, But what are the answers? That's the one thing that you look at. Are there lineups that work so well together that, okay, we have to shorten the bench? I don't see it. Um, is there a point guard that's automatically just going to flip a switch and start getting into the lane and, and making better decisions? I don't see that either. Unless Devontae Jones somehow, you know, gets his mojo back that we saw this summer when he played really well in the NBA G league camp, but he's has problems staying on the floor, foul trouble. Uh, he's not shooting the ball when people go under ball screens and he's going to have to do that. That's one area where Mike Smith absolutely excelled. And I can't believe The number of people who got this one wrong uh, that said, okay, this is going to be an upgrade at the point for Michigan from Mike Smith. uh, It certainly has not been. Now there's still time, right? So uh, for Devontae Jones to improve, and I think he can, but I don't think he's going to be that guy that can will you to a Big Ten title that, that you can put the ball in his hands and say, okay, go out and win us some games. So that to me is the biggest concern. Frankie Collins isn't ready yet. Five of 16, I think, from the free throw line at this point, too. How do you put them on the floor at the end of the game? So, some red flags there, fellas.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, we're getting into scary territory here because, Mm -hmm. you know, you can deal with losses to Arizona, who's, you know, a top 10 team. I think they're number seven on Ken Palm. You can deal with losing on the road at North Carolina, albeit it, it needed to be more competitive than that. And it looked like you wanted to be there. But losing to Minnesota, I mean, they have one scholarship player on the roster from last year. And, you know, they've been much better. Ben Johnson is doing a, an outstanding job there early on. I would assume that when Big Ten play kicks into gear, water will find probably find its level there. But I don't see it in the um, the roster construction. I mean, people keep asking, how does this team turn it around? Like, it's like a brain and Johns has to be just be the 10 points a game guy. He was down the stretch last year. He either he's been boomer bust and bust for most of the year, which can't happen out of a senior. I know there's been a lot of, um, a lot of questions about what they're getting out of the freshman class. And if those guys are ready, you know, Devonte Jones is a, is a graduate transfer and, and Brandon Johns is a a senior. You're not getting what you need out of those guys, and and it can't all be just Eli Brooks and uh, and Hunter Dickinson. I mean, for them to turn it around, it's it's Johns has to wake up and be consistent, and Caleb Houston needs to flip a switch and all of a sudden become some sort of amalgamation between Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers, and a point guard has to emerge, and this this two big lineup has to click and and be a strength for them, and I just I don't. I'm getting, I'm getting concerned guys. I don't see it right now. I mean, they are, they are 10 games into this season. I mean, things that happen inside the vacuum of one game, I can chalk that up to just being, you know, an outlier, but they haven't really gotten better since they lost to Seton Hall. Um, in fact, I think they've regressed in a couple areas. So you really have got, uh, you know, you've got Southern Utah, Purdue, Fort Wayne, you'll go to UCF uh, on December 30th, which won't be an easy game. You get Rutgers at, at home, which won't be uh, – or Rutgers, I'm sorry, on the road. Then you get uh, Michigan State at home on January 8th. Like, there's a lot of growth that has to happen in a short amount of time, and I just don't know if they'll be – when January kicks into high gear, I don't think this team is going to be as ready as we thought they would. And, and could they still make the tournament? Sure, it's possible. They're they're in the Big Ten. I mean, if you rack up enough wins, your resume will send you. But I'm, I'm pretty concerned right now. This is uh, alarming, and – Quite frankly, um, you know, three years, you know, given you brought in the number one recruiting class and you're three years into a head
1: coaching tenure, it's it's borderline unacceptable. Yeah, and you know what else is unacceptable? Two straight magazines. This little inside baseball here. I, Chris and I do a, a point counterpoint uh, for the magazine, and I had to choose Michigan as a Big Ten championship contender in the last one and that they will make the NCAA tournament in the last ones or in this this most recent one. So uh, it's in, I will say this, it's a good exercise when you look at, you know, what you to, to figure out what you really think is going to happen down the stretch here. Uh, And, you know, there's still 20 games to go, but because to find reasoning and and find, you know, sound reasoning for thinking they're going to do this thing. uh, There's certainly not enough evidence in the first 10 games to go off of. It's gotta be things have to improve. And we've talked about that. They have to get better if they're going to get to that spot and they got to get a lot better. uh, I think as well. Um, good to go here on, uh, on this week's show. Anything else from, uh, either of you guys? That'll do it. Got to get back to work. Yes, sir. So join us at the Wolverine.com. Uh, $1 gets you an entire year of coverage over there. We just had signing day stuff, a bunch more to come from that, uh, football here, heading to the college football playoff and the basketball season as they try to turn things around. So we will see everyone over at thewolverine.com. Wolverine.com.